Welcome to SkyCast episode 25, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing season 5, episode 11, The Dark Year. So, back on track. Yes. We are doing this. Yes. Almost, almost caught up. Almost there. Got one more left to record after this one. (laughs) (laughs) And then we're really caught up. Yes. (laughs) Um, What did you think about episode 11? Um, I liked this episode. I think my over well first off guys cannibalism confirmed finally finally 11 episodes and we knew for 11 episodes and we just couldn't get there (laughs) which is really I think my major concern or complaint I guess is I liked what we saw from the bunker but I feel like number one it should have been much earlier and number two we should have gotten more of it um I think that would have really helped us understand Octavia better this season Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. What about you? I really liked this episode. Um, again, I don't think it was this one of. I mean, I don't think it was one of my favorites. I did think it was a strong episode in itself, but I agree with you that I would have liked to have seen a lot of the components that we finally got in this episode sort of distributed more evenly across the season, especially mm-hmm. in the second half. Um, but yeah, I thought there was some really compelling character moments. Um, lots of times that I got really grossed out and almost threw up. As you may well remember. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so before we dive into the recap, as always, I just wanted to remind you guys to rate and review us on iTunes. As always, it helps other fans of The 100 find us. So thank you. Go rate and review. And with that, we'll jump right into the recap. Okay. After her overdose last episode, Abby is unresponsive. A frantic Clark pumps Abby's stomach and Abby throws up. But before Clark can do anything else, McCreary finds Clark and Maddie in the med clinic. It is really lucky that Clark knows how to pump a stomach. It is really lucky. I mean, I'm sure that's one of the easier things to do as far as, you know, she shadowed her mom when she was growing up. And Well, I'm really lucky, glad that they had, like, that little tube to stuff down Abby's throat and well, they had, like, all the saline and everything. A medical station. I'm just so saying. So those are pretty, like, typical things you'd have there. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, but not really much to talk about there. I mean, we knew Abby wasn't dead. That wasn't a surprise. No. Um, and it, it is, you know, horrible that Clark had to do this. Uh, and it's too bad that she was caught, but... <laughs> yeah. 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 Clark shows McCreary the Eye in the Sky video and that it's really a 24-hour loop and they only have days before Octavia's army arrives. Clark discovers that McCreary and his people are sick, and McCreary tells her that she has 24 hours to get Abby operating again. After that, if Abby won't cure McCreary and his men, he'll kill Maddie and Clark. Uh, so first off, props to the bro figured out how to rewind. I, I, you know, good on you, bro. <laughs> Took him 10 Took him minutes, 10 though. whole minutes, but you did it. <laughs> um, also, I, I was really surprised that Clark kind of turned um and trusted McCreary in a sense that fast um and kind of laid her cards out on the table because I know that was her initial plan with Dioza but Dioza and McCreary are very different beasts and I feel like she's seen that McCreary is not the reasonable rational human being that Dioza is I agree and I I was fairly shocked that she well I don't think trust is the right right word but did not like alter her plans once she realized Yoza wasn't in power what you're saying is it's it seemed like kind of out of character for her well I um mean, and yeah go ahead well I just we I think I'm gonna have that complaint several times in the next episode or two um and even like in in the past few episodes that Clark 
is too much in her heart right now and that is making her do stupid things and she's not she's not operating at Pete Clark no she's really not she's not thinking of the third solution and she's only going with what's offered to her and that's that's not our Clark no it isn't also when McCreary gave them the 24-hour window to get Abby operating again I 100% thought that they were going to come up with an escape plan I was like ah what a convenient time window to escape um and then they didn't i mean they just helped abby get better and they went along with the plan status quo and i was really really disappointed that we didn't get that epic escape i like really thought they were gonna escape i mean that would have been nice but i don't think abby could have done it like i don't think her body would have allowed her to do it um, I mean, like, I, I see what you're saying. I would have liked Clark and Maddie to use their knowledge of the valley um, against McCreary in some way, either to escape or, you know, to, to I don't even know, to do what. But, I, you know, I feel like they just have a lot of knowledge. They lived here for six years, and McCreary just got here, but none of that, you know, we really see. We don't even see um, the fact that this is Clark and Maddie's home that they're in, like, the the med clinic with Abby the gas station yeah. that was where Clark and Maddie lived and I feel like them coming back after everything that had happened we should at least see a moment of them kind of reflecting um, about those six years and and where they are now but we didn't even see that so it just I don't know it felt a little weird to me yeah I feel like most of the stuff I just feel like Clark and Maddie just like were very passive they were reacting to things but not like to be fair Clark <laughs> that's I am true not we'll get in we'll in get this. in yeah. we'll get into that whole th- bit later but yeah Clark was very reactive instead mm-hmm. of proactive in this episode in a way that was kind of underwhelming which again I think she has been recently yeah yeah um I also liked that Clark still has her like commanding presence though like McCurry like gave the orders and she was like wait and everyone stopped he's like who no one died and put her in charge like they don't have to listen to her but she's like just that good she is that good it was very Um, very satisfying although I will say that her detective reasoning skills they weren't as impressive as they usually were like it took the entire room like coughing at once for her to be like oh my god you're sick yeah and I almost feel like that was like for the benefit of us the viewers yeah but that's like the lowest common denominator that they were playing to like it was a little bit overkill and I almost feel like the real Clark wouldn't have said anything like Clark is one who takes an information and then uses it when it benefits her yeah but I don't think just like calling out like that you put your you know finger on the nose of Mm -hmm. something it, it, it doesn't benefit her at that point in time so no no it doesn't but you know whatever it is also a horrible way to find out your mother has an addiction to have like a mass murdering creep tell you oh I know uh, so in the cave, Zeke watches Raven fix the radio, and Murphy casually gives us a reminder that Raven couldn't figure out the mystery behind Allegius 3, which is certainly not coming back later. Absolutely, Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Echo comes, <laughs> Echo comes back from scouting and says that McCreary's men aren't even looking for them anymore. Instead, he's moving his men to the northern perimeter. Dioza realizes that one crew must be marching, but Raven knows that without the element of surprise, it'll be a massacre. They have to tell them to go back. <laughs> so, uh, that little Allegius 3 tidbit. Not so subtle. <laughs> no, no, it's a, it a little heavy-handed. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just uh, weave this right into this conversation. Like, that was, like, such an awkward way to read. Like, it wasn't, it, was, it wasn't natural at all. No, it was totally <laughs> contrived. It was really, really bad. 
Um, but I mean, not that I was doubting that we would see something with Legius three at the end of the season, but I mean, we're, now we're seeing now it. That was, that was like a neon sign. <laughs> yeah. Blink, blink, blink. I do think that, um, Raven and Zeke were so cute in this scene. He was just like so amazed. I mean, as he should be like, she's amazing. She is amazing. Um, but I love seeing someone like love her and be awed by her like purely like he's just everything about her like he she's like a ray of sunshine to him and I love looking at that I mean conversely in a weird way I found her reactions or interactions with Murphy weird in this scene or like at least the way that Murphy like looked at her and almost seemed jealous it's just a weird way that they're playing it this season because they've told us that they're basically brother and sister the uh the actors have but it doesn't really feel that way well I think they're trying I think like the writing like points to them acting like siblings but these two people like have really good on-screen chemistry um so it just doesn't like present itself that way but I do think that the writing is suggesting that I do think uh Richard Harmon has chemistry with everyone he has chemistry with like a brick yeah so but it, it, it just feels a little weird. Um, I did notice that one moment when she talked about, like, can't fix my leg. And that's when he, like, looked at her oddly. And I'm sure that was also a part of because he still feels guilty. He feels guilty about it. Her. Right. Because <laughs> it's his fault. Yeah. I do think there was one. There was another funny look um, Zeke gave when Murphy and Raven were talking about the Allegiance 3. So mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, like, maybe he knows the truth. He's Well, he's got to know something because it was a very weird look. It was a really weird look. And then, look. you know, of course we got interrupted, so we didn't get right. to find we out what that weird f- look was right. about. So it, it feels, like, very pointed. Yeah. Yeah. While one crew is marching, Echo calls for Bellamy over the radio. Echo tells Bellamy that McCreary knows they're coming, and Monty and Bellamy realize that Clark must have told them. Unfortunately, given Octavia's fiery outburst last episode, one crew can't go back to Polis, so Bellamy says that Echo's going to have to find one crew a way in. Uh, So first here, the most valuable input that Harper has had all season is telling Bellamy oh, you should be speaking Trig right now. <laughs> and then following up saying, it doesn't matter if we're speaking in Trig if Clark is not on our side anymore. She also speaks Trig. Yeah. Like there was like a double, double whammy for whammy Harper. Whammy for Harper. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, you have a function. <laughs> I was just so pleased to see this. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. My it's God. It's not enough though. It's not even. It doesn't even like. Blip. It, yeah. It does not, not make even. Up- at all. Not even a little bit, but at least I don't have to complain about her this episode. I mean, it's almost, it almost calls um, it out more just because she's so very rarely useful. You mean like when she was sleeping in the last episode? Yeah. And she, like literally she was in a scene sleeping. Oh my so. God. I'm just like so offended on her behalf. Yeah. Anyway, question for you. Mm-hmm. How did Echo become in charge here? Is it because Dios is like kind of hurt? I just like. It just seemed a little weird that she was, like, taking control of the situation. Well, Echo does not trust Diosa. And the original plan was for them to basically just, like, leave Diosa. But they ended up having to take her because, you know, McCreary took over the village. Um, Echo does not trust her. She does not trust her to help them get their friends safely in the valley. Um, Echo's the one, aside from Diosa, who has the most military experience. So I think it seems pretty natural. Yeah, I think it seemed natural, too. But it was just kind of, like... I don't know, like, it was a little bit, like, I would have liked a, like, a, a little transition scene to, like, explain what was the context was, because all of a sudden she was just, like, shouting orders, and I was like... Oh, I didn't, I don't need a context scene. I think it's very clear that, like, 
pretty much everyone in there are defectors and then there's Kane and Dioza and that's it okay so yeah, like, I see that. I they're see like that. the outsiders okay um how do we think Bellamy feels about Clark right now because I mean he betrayed her in a sense in episode nine and she slapped him and left him to die do you think he feels guilty or do you think he's angry good question Especially now finding out that Clark's, you know, told um, I, McCreary. I but. think he's probably angry. I think he, I don't think he would have done what he did unless he be- believed it was like the only choice left for him. And while I don't think he expected Clark to accept that or even forgive him, I think he's, feels like he was right. Um, and I think the idea of Clark leaving not only leaving him to die but then leaving the rest of them open you know for further injury and harm and death uh is probably aggravating to him yeah (laughs) i guess (laughs) i like i said i understood both sides of what happened in episode nine but i will say that bellamy forgave clark in like a day after clark locked octavia outside the bunker to die um so I, I think that I'm sure he's guilty. I'm sure he's very guilty, but well, yeah, I, I can't, there guilty. has to be some sort of like undercurrent of fury there. I'm I like, think, I would have forgiven you. <laughs> yeah. I think he would have been enraged. Uh, Echo says that if Clark really is on McCreary's side, then Echo will deal with her later. But first, they need to scout for details on weapons and troop count. Kane wants to go with Sky Crew, but Echo doesn't trust him yet. Raven also won't let Zeke come because she's worried that if he's caught by McCreary and tortured, he'll break and show him how to launch the missiles. So um, Echo, quote unquote, dealing with Clark <laughs> later. Sign me the Sign F me up. up. <laughs> I'm ready to see the two of them go toe to toe. So ready for that. I've wanted it for so long. I just like, God, what an electrifying scene that will be. They're both such smart, powerful women in different ways. Oh, yes. Um, And I just, I need it. I'm I'm ready. I also like, like, Echo is just like, if that's true, I will deal with her later. <laughs> it was such a great delivery. I loved it. She's just so dry and so serious. She's so serious. And I, I love it. <laughs> so great. I loved it. Uh, also, what else, what other things bring me joy is uh, Echo's distrust of Kane because... Solid. I think Kane this season, but even last season, Kane has become your Jaha for, you. for me. Yeah. Um, I can't stand Kane, and whether or not I like understand why he does the things he does, I I loathe him, yeah. and I I don't want him in the show anymore. <laughs> I, I hear you. I understand what you're going through because I had a similar experience with Jaha, and I can see where you're coming from. His actions this season, and we'll get into this much more in depth later on in this episode. So I want to save most of this for when we actually get to the stuff that I find particularly egregious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I like that. With the limited interaction that Echo has had with Kane this season, she's intuiting or picking up on this sort of distrustful nature or this like, um, there's this weird vibe that Kane is giving off that she's reading mm-hmm. and she's like automatically distrustful of him because she's good at her job. Yeah. Um, and it shows like she is a very intuitive person and I just like seeing her like 
showing off like and demonstrating those skills in her in that way um I mean it's clear that Kane is on number one Dioza's side above all number two Kane has you know before when they were all kept in the church Kane kept all of these plans from them um plans that would have been very useful for them to know right so they wouldn't have started a rebellion and let Murphy take over or uh Monty Monty Murphy McCreary. McCreary oh my gosh there's so many M names yeah um so yeah, I'm glad she doesn't trust him. I don't trust him. I think he's a hypocrite. No, and Dio and Dio's like agrees with her. She's like, right? And Dio's is like, fair. Well, Dio's has said this the, the same thing to her. I know. Yeah. Well, so it's like, I mean, she was just parroting back. No, like, she this was. Is what but like, there's me. there's no room for Dio's to argue because she's using her own words against her. It was cl- <laughs> it was great. It's great. Um. Also, can we talk about John? Never gets the gun, Murphy. <laughs> oh my God! I poor just, Murphy. He poor Murphy never gets the Give gun. Give the boy a gun. Season one, and he still doesn't get the gun. <laughs> Sometimes he gets a couple of rocks. He to does. Together. He gets a couple of rocks to make a noise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was the beginning of Murphy's rise. <laughs> it was. That was actually the beginning of his ascent. Yeah. <laughs> it was the rocks. <laughs> Shit, that was so funny. Uh, Abby wakes up and Clark tells her that she needs to recover and treat McCreary's people, a plan that Maddie hates. But according to Clark, if they help McCreary win the war, they'll live and they can figure out the rest later. Abby tells her she's going to have to do a rapid detox and that she's had to detox before. Clark wonders what happened to her in that bunker. Oh boy, this was such a heartbreaking scene. Abby's shame is so deep. You know, when she sees Clark, when she comes to and she realizes that Clark has witnessed her overdose and has had to like bring her back and induce her into um pumping her stomach and vomiting and all all up you know she just breaks down immediately there's there's one second of of realizing what's what's going on and then she just like breaks down Mm -hmm. um and it's just it's really really hard to watch this person who is supposed to be your mother who's supposed to be your parent who is supposed to be able to take care of you who you think is going to be your safe haven be so vulnerable and human and weak I mean this is something that Clark has had to deal with a lot over the years and they have a really tumultuous relationship but I think this is like so interesting to see Clark who has now assumed the role of a parent to Maddie now having to mother her own mother and it's just really hard to watch and it was really sad I mean she's never seen Abby weak in this way before no and and Abby is is so deeply ashamed of herself mm-hmm. I and mean, she hates this reversal more than anything she hates this um speaking of Clark I have so much to say about Clark and her arc this season but I'm gonna save that for the next episode for episode 12's discussion um but I did want to mention that Clark's steamrolling of Maddie's opinions is really infuriating oh it is absolutely unbelievable she's not allowing maddie to have any sort of ownership over her own agency she's just like she's treating maddie like she's like property right and not a human right (laughs) and like i understand like my own parents act like this sometimes too um but but is that right like does a parent have the right to do that i think i think we are teetering the line because Pre-teen, I feel like teenagers, that is not com- that is not okay at all. I think when you're five, it's okay. When you don't have the awareness and the self-awareness to make your own decisions, you don't have enough maturity to make your own decisions. Maddie here, I think Clark still looks at her like that little girl that she picked up in the woods. But Maddie has proven, with or without the flame, 
that she is capable and smart and intelligent and wise and has, she survived by herself at for, age six right she's like a really capable young woman and even though she's not old as old as clark was when clark came down to earth like she's not a baby mm-hmm. um so i i think this is a, a kind of an issue of of clark not recognizing maddie's capabilities um and no it's not right it's not okay but it's not to me just the capability issue it's just more of She's speaking for Maddie, even though Maddie very clearly, you know, is not down with this plan. She did not want this. Like, the only reason she's even here is because Clark is forcing her to be here. Right. Um, and, you know, it's okay if your parents are forcing you to, like, go to dinner with your great aunt. But if your parents are forcing you to be on the wrong side of a war where people that you care about on the other side are going to get murdered, it's a different story. Right. right. We're not talking about, like, finishing your broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. It's 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 really hard to watch her just steamroll her like that. I'm also really confused by Clark's plan to like deal with the rest later. There won't be anything left later. So like, what are you talking about? Well, even if you know you're going to deal with the rest, so you you'd like to live with, with a McCreary? bunch of mass murders for the rest. That that's and that's your plan. Killers. Is to have Maddie grow up around these people who are rapists and terrorists and murders. Yeah. That sounds like a great plan, Clark. I mean, to be fair, I realize Clark is also a mass murderer, but it just feels different. <laughs> she is a mass murderer, but she's, she's done not it to a survive. <laughs> she's done it to survive, and these people did it because they wanted to. Right. Right. Um, so really, I just think Clark isn't being the Clark I love. And I am a Clark apologist till the end, but these last few episodes test me. <laughs> yeah. It's getting t- a little testy. Yeah. A little chilly around here towards Clark. Um, And one last thing to note in this scene is that we learned that Abby has recovered before. Yeah. She's gotten clean before and she relapsed, which is brand new information. Yeah, that was a surprise to me. It was a surprise to me as well because it seemed like her addiction was like pretty deeply rooted and I just assumed that it had been a one-way street all the way down. Um, But I like this revelation and I think it adds a lot more to her character and as we learn the causes of her relapse um i think it adds a lot more to the context of of what happened in those bunkers in the last few years and why she is the way she is and also it adds a lot more color to her relationships with everyone else during the season and i would have liked to have learned this earlier in the season as well i think this was another mistake that they could have introduced a lot earlier and we it would have helped a lot yeah, I, I agree, and I also think it just adds more to the addiction um, discussion in general about how, you know, it's not just like you were addicted and now you're not. It's a constant struggle of, you know, she got clean for a while, but she slept. She slipped back. Right. Um, no, it's it's a choice you have to make over and over and over again. You don't just have to make it once. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I really liked it. Uh, so we flash back. It is two years after the bunker doors were sealed, and a fungus has destroyed the soybean crop. It'll be at least a year before they can have a protein source again. Abby says that if they don't get protein, they'll starve, and that they all know the fighting pits are the only option to get protein in the meantime. Kane is horrified, and Octavia begs him to give her another solution, but Abby says there is none. Um, so I'm still a little annoyed. We, we get to see Cooper here again uh, for the first time in a few episodes. And I'm, I'm a little annoyed we didn't get to see more of the transition uh, Cooper had from, like, 
farmer to warrior and Octavia's second hand. Yeah. Um, because in this scene, they did not have that dynamic. And so I still don't quite understand yeah. how we got there. But I have that complaint with a lot of things this yeah. season. Namely Miller. <laughs> Miller. Uh, I mean, like a lot of people. Yeah, it's a lot of people. I it feel is. like we just didn't, we didn't get the proper. I feel like you were saying if we had had, and it sounded like a broken record, if, if these flashbacks had been evenly distributed throughout the season, we would have had more time to watch that development. And that would have been really interesting to see. That's what we wanted to see. I feel like this, this season should have been more like Lost, where we have like every episode, a flashback with like a specific character that tells us something about that character in the present. Ugh, that would have been so good. It would have been great. Like maybe not every single episode, but for at least a lot of them, like for one, Dioza. Yeah. I wish we had a flashback with Dioza. I, I can't believe they didn't give us one. I know. I'm so mad. I've been asking for that since the first episode. <laughs> Where's my Dioza centric episode? And I really did think we would get one. Um, but then as the episodes progressed and it didn't happen, I was like, actually, nope. I don't know anymore. Nope. <laughs> nope. No, there's a lot of stuff we didn't get. In fact, I feel like this episode wouldn't have been a perfect episode for, like, a Dioza storyline, too. Um, you know, the dark year, it could have been about how she switched switched and became a terrorist. <laughs> yeah. But I guess we'll just leave that for the our headcanon. world cannon. will never know. <laughs> um, I thought it was really interesting that Octavia, again, asks for another solution, any solution other than this. It was... I mean, we saw her do this last episode as well. It is very reminiscent of Clark, who is constantly looking for a better idea when she doesn't like the choice that she's got left. Um, unlike Clark, I think Octavia is is less creative. Yeah. Um, but I do like that comparison of both of them sort of bearing the burden, if you will, um, and having to make these really difficult choices that other people are, are saying to them or are, 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 um complaining about and then them retaliating saying like well then what's your idea yeah like, I have not there's nothing left here um so I really do like that comparison between the two of them I think it's 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 very obvious and it is not subtle <laughs> she's done it several times this season yeah. I can't remember the first one I mean there's definitely the one with Indra but there was another time she did it too and it just kind of goes to show I think it was with Bellamy, but now I can't remember what it was. I don't know what that would have been for. I don't know. It just really goes to show that she, especially at this point in time, was willing to kind of listen to her advisor. She wasn't completely um, in tyrant mode quite yet. Yeah. Um, so this this was, I think, good. She was still good at this point. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's also clear that Abby knew this was going to be inevitable eventually. Like, the way she says it... It was kind of like, I've been, I've known this was coming. This is what we have to do. I've been afraid of this, but yeah. this is all that's left. I've been like turning this over in my mind yeah. from the beginning. I think, honestly, I think she knew this would happen from the day that Cooper said, this is not gonna, the, the, the farm isn't going to keep us alive for five years. Yeah. I think Abby knew it would come to this point. Yeah, I agree. Uh, do we think that Abby was clean right now in this scene? Um, or do we think that... She was still under the pills. I, I'm assuming that she probably got clean after the events of episode two, the Red Queen. Yeah, I agree. I I read this as in this scene, this is what restarted the addiction. Yeah, I agree. This is this was what caused her relapse was this sort of conversation and the, the realization of what she was going to have to suggest and then continue to force Octavia into understanding I guess I don't know if we necessarily needed it, but I would have liked a little bit more confirmation with like an Abby 
only flashback of her like taking the pills again or oh see i feel oppositely i feel like this was the all the confirmation i needed yeah i i like to i don't like to skip steps yeah that's fair it didn't bother me um so moving on yeah bellamy and endra catch up to octavia at the front of the march Bellamy tells her that the enemy knows they're coming and that Echo is scouting for a way in. But since they can't go back to the bunker, if Echo doesn't come up with a plan, that means that Octavia has killed her people. (laughs) So Bellamy is D-O-N-E done. That is gone (laughs) with a D. Yeah. (laughs) He's done. Oh my god. And I'm really relieved that Bellamy has finally started to verbalize to Octavia that it's her fault. Yeah. And like finally we're getting we're getting there. We're not a hundred percent there, but he's not letting her walk all over him in this scene. It does still feel like too little too late to me. Like I feel like he should have had this attitude much more this season. Oh, I I mean I feel like he should have had this attitude well, for a long time. Yes. <laughs> um, but this scene specifically No, this was great. I did appreciate him standing up for himself and really laying into her. And I mean, Octavia just takes all of this and like doesn't really even process it because she's so single minded in her um, need for her to be right. Like she needs to be right because if she's she can't like accept the alternative that she was wrong and then did all of these horrible things for nothing. She's not even listening to him. Yeah. She's like hearing him, but she's not listening. I think she really does believe that one crew through sheer force of will will just like barrow th- barrel through, um, which maybe they, w- I mean, I'm not going to get into next episode, but yeah. <laughs> at this point, she really does just think like, it's going to be like, it's we're going to be, we're going to push in. There's going to be deaths, but we'll make it. Yeah. There will be casualties, but we'll win the war. Yeah. Space crew sees that McCreary's men are setting traps in all the ways to get in the valley. Murphy tries to steal a gun, but gets caught by uh, McCreary's men. But before the standoff can go much further, Zeke shows up and tries to turn himself in to save Space Crew's lives. Unfortunately, McCreary's men order Zeke captured and Space Crew killed, resulting in a fight with Echo and Zeke taking out McCreary's men. After the fight is over, though, Raven is clearly furious with Zeke, but Zeke isn't sure why. I don't want to get into the weeds here. I mean, I feel like this is like a nitpick, but I cannot believe that Echo agreed to this idiotic plan. Like they came here to spy, not to steal, as she very clearly explains to Murphy. And they are just so lucky that Zeke decided to follow them and showed up when he did. I mean, like they would have been screwed. I agree. I think it was not wise, but I also think they were desperate. Um and desperation makes you do stupid things. I don't know. Echo's not stupid. I found this No, stupid. Echo's not stupid, but she is desperate. And I think, you know, right now she's not working with a lot. She doesn't have any other warriors except for uh, Dioza, and she doesn't trust Dioza, so... <laughs> I know, I know. It just seemed really dumb to me. I No, I get it. I get it. I do. It was really but dumb. I can't blame her too much. Um, I, I think Zeke's plan was kind of dumb. He just, like, walks in there and is like let space crew go and I'll come with you. Like, I, I mean, it worked out well for him. He no, clearly I, has some like, I'm saying all of this was dumb. Well, yes, but I mean, just, I don't know. I, I think Zeke, I feel like I've come to expect a level of, of like excellence from the writing where like, I don't have these like weird little holes that I like can like poke through. And I just want that like sophistication, which I did not see in this scene. I mean, I'll always poke holes and stuff because that's but, like what... this was like a big hole. 
Well, I wouldn't call this a big hole. I would call it not the smartest move. I just, I don't know. What isn't wasn't working for me. I just think Zeke could have very it, it could have turned out very poorly very easily. Um, you know, if they didn't get close yeah, enough for him to like, very, you know, use his karate skills and like, like take a them lot all out. Of plot armor in this scene. <laughs> like, thank God, like there's plot. Um, but you know what wasn't dumb in this scene? No, Murphy and his guns. No, that was <laughs> say hello to my little friend. No, that. This episode. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I just spoiled everything. We're, we're, well, s- surprise. <laughs> um, no, and when Amori's like, John, you still want a gun? And he's like, oh, hell yes. And he's oh, my like, God. Yes. Big, that was so funny. The big blaster. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Sorry. That was really funny. <laughs> um, it was also a great moment at the end when Echo says, Z can stay. <laughs> you can sit by me. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Y- you can stay now. Yeah. I approve of you. And it's like such a deadpan, like, you can stay. Yeah. <laughs> You've earned your spot here. <laughs> this is all I'm going to give you. Yeah. Take it or leave it. <laughs> I mean, for Echo, that's pretty effusive. No, yeah. She was really emotional. <laughs> basically like, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, back in the cave, Dioza tells Kane she's worried about Abby, too. Dioza has lost more soldiers to opiate pills than war. Kane asks if they're on the right side of their own war, and Dioza says there will be high casualties on both sides, but she thinks Octavia will ultimately win. But, she jokes, maybe Octavia will forgive them and they can all live happily ever after. Kane doesn't believe that Octavia is capable of happily ever after, and wonders how to choose between a monster and the devil. I love that Dioza has this softness to her, and it comes through when she talks about Abby, you know, for all of Abby's faults at the moment. I think she really does respect her as a doctor and as a woman and a leader. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just like seeing Dioza kind of, who is this, like, really kind of rough and stern and strict military strong woman um, show a softer side. I thought it was really nice and multidimensional for her, which... You know, they do a great job with her. So it was, it was really nice to see. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not just that Dioza respects her, but it's, as she says, Abby, like, literally put herself in front of Dioza's baby mm-hmm. and a gun. Um, so yeah. I think Dioza's feeling pretty warm toward her. Yeah, I mean, like, right Abby now. is a good good person. Yeah. Deep down right now. Um, so why do we think Kane sees Octavia as the devil? Does he really not like I understand that she is a tyrant and she's not you know the best leader um but does he not understand how that happened and why it was necessary when they were locked in the bunker no I I think from what we learned in this episode is that he doesn't realize that Abby was the one who suggested to Octavia that she has to make them compliant well we actually don't learn that in this episode um the original scripts we, we should talk about that when we actually get to the scene. Yeah, we should. But that's I think that's the answer to this question is why he thinks she's the devil is because I think he looks at her like a woman possessed and a murderous, rampaging monster. Yeah. Um, and I think without the knowledge that that it was really Abby's idea and really Abby's conviction that that, you know, pushed Octavia to this point. Without knowing that, it looks like Octavia got there on her own and that she's crazy. Um, true. So I think that's why. And that colors in a lot of the behavior of Kane again, throughout this entire season, which I would have loved to have gotten earlier. Yep. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Kane asks Dioza here if they're on the right side of things. And I know this show is morally complex and there really isn't a right or a wrong, but I feel like there is... 
a very clear right and wrong in this situation. And the wrong side is any side with McCreary. Yeah. Thusly, yes, you are on the right side. Like, this shouldn't be a question. I'm not sure what you're asking. I resent the implication that this is equal footing. Well, I mean, to be fair, going off of what you just said, if he sees Octavia as, like, a crazy person who just executes people for no reason... I think he sees her exactly like Murphy or McCreary. I keep calling him Murphy. I'm sorry, Murphy. He's supposed to be your foil. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think the real uh, facts here is that McCreary's men are also rapists and murderers and serial killers and whatever. Right. Um, whereas Octavia's people are just people who are trying to survive and they're Kane's people, people he's lived with for six years and that he's, you know is trying to decide like is that the right side to support like yes <laughs> yes i'm not sure what your dilemma is here very yeah. very annoying abby is screaming and begs clark for her pills when clark refuses abby turns to maddie saying that clark acts like she can make decisions for maddie and she doesn't want clark to decide to let abby die too Maddie tells her that Abby chose this and that she's nothing like the kind, loving mother Clark told her about. At that, Abby suddenly flatlines and Clark has to give her adrenaline. Maddie is as cold as ice to Abby in this scene. She is ruthless um, and I love it. She's just so disappointed with the reality of her grandmother versus the the myth of what Clark had told her of this, Mm -hmm. you know, loving, kind strong woman nurturing woman and she is this weak deteriorated addict um who is is just dissolving right in front of their faces Mm -hmm. and i love that she tries to trick maddie that she's trying to deceit to like twist her and manipulate her and maddie's just having none of it i mean to be fair her manipulations are completely correct she's very right in what she's saying No, she is and that's why they were they were valid i mean like on a weaker mind that would have worked but, you know, the force doesn't work on the strong, only the weak. Ugh, Maddie. Uh, and Maddie is really strong. Yeah. And she's learned a lot from Clark. And she can see this a mile away. And she just shuts it down. I mean, she's always been incredibly capable. But I also think that having those commanders in her head um, make her a little less willing to listen to bullshit. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I agree. I mean, like, her bullshitometer is, yeah. like, very, very, very sensitive. Um, also just wanted to call out what an amazing job Paige Turco did in this scene. I don't know how she did that. It was really incredible to watch. I mean, she's been incredible this whole season. Just like the sweat pouring off of her body. I mean, like I know that there's like a makeup department that makes you look disheveled and stuff. But like her physicality in this scene and her mania, mm-hmm. like her eyes and the way she moves her mouth. There's a thing where you can tell like she... She does this weird thing with her mouth where when she is playing the addict, the addict version of Abby, her mouth sort of like doesn't form the words quite right. Like she's like always wanting something that her addiction is coming through. And you can see it so clearly in this scene, the way she uses her mouth. It's just, it's insane level of acting. It was great. Agreed. Nothing to add there. (laughs) Uh, We flash to one crew at dinner time. Everyone has a gross, gelatinous-looking cube of human meat on their plates. Octavia stands and makes sure that everyone sees her eating the meat. Most people follow her lead, but Kane says he can't. Abby tells him there's no other choice, but Kane tells her that she knows there's always a choice, and with that, he leaves. Other one crew members follow him, and back in the present, Abby's heart starts beating again. Okay, so first and foremost, ew. Second of all, 
Why are these cubes so disgusting? Why are they like jello-y? Why are they like raw? Right. Why are they wet? Why aren't why they like aren't they barbecue? Like, yeah. <laughs> Get them on the barbie. Right. Like why aren't they charred? I don't know. And like look like a hamburger or something. I don't know if these if this is supposed to be like actual raw meat or if this is supposed to be um like meat product like meat with like something? a byproduct of something yeah but I don't know what that it would looks be. like a piece of muscle that it hasn't does. been cooked yet absolutely it looks it looks like like a steak yeah a human steak raw, raw. steak yeah <laughs> a raw filet mignon very rare <laughs> very rare filet mignon a la human like it's disgusting, and if they wanted to make this as hard as humanly possible, they certainly did. I mean, the other way that they made it even grosser than I thought it could possibly be was zooming in on Octavia taking that bite, like, really closely. It gave me flashbacks from the Lord of the Rings yeah. scene where Gollum is, like, biting into the fish raw. Yeah, my PTSD, uh, like, went yeah right in. It was, it was nasty. It was nasty. <laughs> Everything about this is nasty. Like, I don't blame these people. I'm not eating that. I mean... If it's eat or die, are you going to eat that? Yeah. If someone put a gun to my head, I would eat it. But only then. Really? You wouldn't eat it until someone put a gun to your head? If it was eat that or starve to I death? I mean, let's be honest. I was previously on the couch for my food not being delivered for 15 minutes later than I expected it. And I thought I was going to pass out. So yeah, I would cave immediately. But what I'm trying to say is that this is disgusting. It is gross. And I actually feel like some people should have been vomiting yeah I think just like the knowledge of what you're eating would make you vomit like, I would vomit there was no people were like kind of gagging but like people would be vomiting I would everywhere. be vomiting everywhere it would take a little while to get used to that yeah and I to agree. like be able to keep the food down oh my god it was so gross um so I think we, we discussed you know which side would you be on I would hella eat the humans like I'm sorry I'm not starving to death they were dead and it's not like we killed them right it's <laughs> not like we like lined them up and like shot them yet 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 is the operative <laughs> word um until this episode but yeah I mean again they sacrificed themselves so we can survive yeah that is as warm of a sentiment as you're ever going to get to justify eating another human yeah I don't want to do it uh but I will if I absolutely have to yeah I will donner party the shit out of that if I absolutely have to <laughs> I'm a little girl in the donner party <laughs> who dies first so <laughs> yeah you I are. don't have to make this choice I'm already dead and guess what I'm a scrawny little girl I know so there wouldn't be enough meat. no meat for you <laughs> you just have to suffer <laughs> Um, yeah. And one thing I wanted to bring up also in this scene um, that I kind of want to unpack a little bit is Kane's hesitancy to eat this and the fact that he takes the moral high ground here, it almost seems to me like he's doing this to redeem himself of all of his former crimes. You know, like I feel like we've been witnessing ever since Kane has sort of like switched gears and and joined like space the young delinquents team. yeah he's slowly but surely every chance he can taken the morally high ground in an effort to like redeem himself for all of the atrocities he's done prior and that is ultimately a selfish goal that is a selfish um act when it's it's not in in for the actual benefit of everyone mm -hmm. it's really to appease your own conscience and i find I take issue with this <laughs> and I think that is what 
you are keep heart what keeps bothering you oh, over and over again is this it's hard to put into words but none of these acts of where he's talking and preaching and pandering and like all of this stuff even though what he is saying is technically or theoretically correct or right righteous it all feels like self-service mm-hmm. and in disingenuous um and i think for the first time in this scene you really feel it because there is no alternative here you eat or you die Abby spells it right out. And the fact that he can sit there and say we should all have a choice in this is just so he can appease his own conscience, really. I'll get to that in a second. But I did want to, like, say I don't think, you know, taking the moral high ground in and of itself, I don't think is necessarily selfish. But I think the way Kane has done it in the past, it has been. And especially here when, like, what about this situation makes Kane draw the line? After all of the horrible things he's done, what about this is so bad? I mean, it's gross. It's not fun. Right. But it doesn't hurt anybody. Right. Like, indecency aside, what are you objecting to? Because yeah. we're not actually killing any more people. We are preventing death. Yeah. Technically. So it's just the idea, that, the, the concept of this, which I think we all agree, no one loves. No. Except for maybe Vincent. <laughs> Vincent would have loved but the Vincent's bunker. not here. So... <laughs> So my point stands is that it's really just inexcusable behavior. Um, and I think this sort of misalignment of what of Abby's practicality and Kane's um, lack of is really what splits them. Kane's naivete, naivete, or whatever you want to call it, his the the lacking that he is pre- uh, presenting here is the split that I think is the sort of like if she was cracking Mm -hmm. like this was the that thing that you put in that like widens the crack yeah um and it just fractures her and like it 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 makes her more vulnerable to her addiction honestly is is this strain on their relationship where he just cannot get on board um I mean, speaking of, as you mentioned, um, choices and Kane lecturing Abby about it, um, it is rich for Kane to tell Abby that, you know, there's always a choice when just, you know, two years ago, he took away her choice and like made her stay in the bunker when she wanted to give up her spot for someone else. And whether or not, you know, we all would do that is not the question. Abby is now basically doing the same thing. Like, you can't just not eat or you'll die. And then he's like, you know, there's always a choice. Like, excuse me? But also, right, like, you took away my choice. You you can't use this to justify your own actions if you wouldn't let me use it to justify mine. (laughs) Right, exactly. It's rich. It's it's really hard to to take this in. Um, And I also wanted to switch gears kind of because I couldn't really figure out where else to put this discussion. This is the scene with Nyla in it. And it's one of the few scenes this season with Nyla in it. I want to talk about Nyla just a little bit. Okay. I'm pissed. Okay. (laughs) I am really annoyed with how they've treated her character. It has made no sense to me. The only time that it made sense was in episode two when she was helping Octavia. And that was because it seemed like they were going in a romantic direction. Yeah. And yet she keeps on like showing up just to help Octavia and then disappearing into the background. She has no story of her own seemingly no agency because all she does is just to help octavia even though hasn't octavia even seen her at all this season well, except they've for barely interacted that's what i'm saying yeah, they the barely only, acknowledged each other the only time that they've talked to each other is in episode two nyla was in the room with octavia when she was unconscious but that that's it 
So I just don't understand what they're doing with her. Oh, I absolutely agree. And I share your sentiments completely. I have no idea what their, um, what their ultimate goal is for her. I don't get a sense of a clear arc. I mean, I don't think you need to, again, you don't need to spend a ton of time on every character. You have a large cast. But I would like a thin outline. I mean, Nyla, no offense, Miller, but offense meant Nyla's much more interesting of a character than Miller's ever been. But especially this season, why have we spent so much time with Miller being a jerk? With no progression. With no progression, without, like, understanding how Nyla got to this point and who Nyla is right now. Because she is also very different than she used to be. And I'm much more interested in that Well, again, it's like, why didn't we get any backstory on Cooper? Or the transition. Why didn't we get the transition for Miller? Why haven't we gotten any backstory on Nyla? Like all of these people who are in the bunker. Who we come to know. And is a completely different version of themselves. Like I would like to know why. Yeah. Um, And it is a symptom of a larger issue. That we've seen throughout this entire season. Which is that they're not giving enough time to character. Yeah. They're just I mean, not. That's 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 the real point. Is the real problem. Developments this season have been very weak. Very weak. Underdeveloped. Or not developed at all. It's it's really unfortunate because this show, I think, usually does that very well. I thought season four did that wonderfully. Exceptionally they well. They had, you know, they, they took the time to let small character moments happen. But those have so much meaning in the overall story, even if it seems small at the time. Whereas like this, we're pushing forward on a plot that doesn't really like isn't moving anywhere this is like all plot focused and yet the plot isn't moving so i don't really know how that i mean the plot is a march it's a literal march but they didn't even start marching until this episode that's what i'm saying it is episode 11 (laughs) it's about a march and the march didn't start until 11 (laughs) exactly my point yeah it's frustrating um it's not working on a character level it's not working on a plot level it's very confusing. This uh, isn't the show that I know. Yeah. I'm not saying I hate this season. I don't hate no, this season. No, I don't season. hate this season either. And I think they do a lot of things very well, which we've talked about extensively. Yeah. But you equally have to call out what they're not doing well. And unfortunately, it's this. Yeah. Agreed. While Abby sleeps, Maddie asks if Clark is really going to save the lives of McCreary and his men. Clark tries to shut down the conversation, but Maddie says they're on the wrong side of the war. Clark agrees, but she's fine with it as long as Maddie gets to live. Maddie notes that living with themselves is another story. Uh, It's a little sad. Clark can't listen to what Maddie has to say because she knows Maddie's right. And she really doesn't have any argument against it. But like, I don't want you to die. Right. And like for Maddie, that's not a good argument. No, no, it's not a good argument. I mean, it's an understandable argument from a mother. It is, but like Maddie, especially with the flame, believes in something bigger than herself. So it's just such a weak argument. And even Clark knows it. Clark being the mother knows it's a weak argument. Yeah. But, like, because she's the mom, she basically gets to, you know, you have to stay here. You can't do anything. And Maddie doesn't get an option. No, she doesn't. Um, Living with ourselves is another story. I love this little bit from Maddie. I think it's especially poignant now that Maddie has all of the context of how many times Clark has had to make these kinds of sacrifices before. And it's also an interesting usage of the word story. I mean, this is a theme that we've seen play out over and over again this season. I like the, the different ways that they they um utilize it and i liked it especially in this sequence because i feel like it's a very meaningful deployment of the word story Mm -hmm. um because she's she's meaning it like as like a passing phrase as a colloquialism but it's a very like it she means it literally so i i do think that's a really interesting word for a 
choice of the writers. And I just also thought it was particularly telling in this moment now that she has like all of this context of like how many times Clark has had to do this. Well, kind of jumping off your thing, the the living with yourself and the things that you've done is another story is also literal in the sense that we never get to see them living with the things they've done because it's always about the surviving part. Right. And so like, I feel like the, the like living with it keeps getting pushed back further and further every, every season. season. They just can't take, get a break. Um, and I mean, I guess they had to live with it over the last six years, but we didn't get to see that. So it really is like a different story that we're not pretty. That we're to. not getting. Oh, mm-hmm. I love that. Didn't even think of that. <laughs> Genius. Um, I do want to, you know, drop a bell arc moment here. I have a really hard time believing that Clark wouldn't seem more guilty about leaving Bellamy to die. I feel like the show should have called it out more. Um, you know, it calls out, Maddie calls out a few times last episode, but I feel like it should have been like a reoccurring, like common slap in Clark's face metaphorically. Um, because it just, I don't know. It feels odd to me that she just kind of brushes over it and chooses not to deal with it. Yeah. I think, I'm interpreting it as that she's, like, completely numb. I think she thinks Bellamy is dead at this point, And she is numb. Yeah. Like, completely numb. That is a generous interpretation. I agree with you that I would have preferred to have seen her mourn in some capacity. I don't need her to be, like, weeping. Um, but I would have liked to have seen some iteration of her showing the effects of of being his murderer I mean I think she thinks she feels like she killed yeah I I agree with you and I think I I think on a like character level it makes sense because Clark is a master compartmentalizer yeah but I think on a writing level it doesn't because this trauma and this thing that happened it's changed the story so much in recent episodes and I think it needs to be kept at the forefront um and I think Clark needs to be kind of forced to keep thinking about it which is why I feel like it needs to be brought up more yeah I agree and again I don't need her I don't need it to I don't need her to to show her mourning or her grief or her trauma in a like really obvious like out of character kind of way I just want some like inclination from the writers that she is not handling this well yeah that it is affecting her in some way um and I'm I'm not seeing that no. I mean, like, she is just cold as ice. Numb. Yeah. As Echo describes McCreary's battle plans to Dioza, Dioza realizes that McCreary must have found her playbook and is now using her strategies. And unfortunately, Dioza's strategies are incredibly detailed. Murphy asks if there's a safe way to get in the valley or not, and clearly getting getting an idea, Dioza smiles. I love that Dioza knows how smart she is, and she's proud of it. Oh, yeah. She's not just proud of it. She's, like, very, like... I'm, this is what it is. I'm just going to say. I'm real smart. <laughs> it's like, kind of like Raven in that way. I always think of everything. There's no stone left unturned. Except in Raven's case, it almost seems bragging. Like, it, I don't mean that in a bad way. No, but no. like, Raven brags, whereas Dioza just is, like, very straightforward. No, no. Raven is a little vain about her intelligence <laughs> in a way that I completely relate to. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Dioza is very matter-of-fact about it. Yeah. Like, this is the fact. I'm real smart. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. So, uh, moving on. Bellamy tells Octavia that Echo has found them a way in, but Bellamy says he'll only tell her if she agrees that she'll accept the other side's surrender and share the valley with them when the time comes. Octavia agrees, saying she wants peace, but Bellamy no longer believes her. As he leaves, Octavia says they were meant to fight side by side, but Bellamy isn't fighting for her. He's fighting to get back to his family. 
I know this is going to sound like another nitpick, and I am sorry that I am I am so down on this episode because I really did like it. Um, <laughs> there's just a lot of stuff that I need to talk about. Um, <laughs> the first of which is I hate the way Octavia dehumanizes Echo by not even using her name. She just calls her the spy. And it's conscious. I mean, like, she's doing that on purpose. And it is so... I know Octavia is going through a lot right now. And well, this is, like, small potatoes. But it is so infuriating to me. And I hate it. Again, you do have to remember that Echo basically killed her. I feel She's, like we've moved past this. Octavia has not moved past it. <laughs> Octavia has not forgiven her. I've moved past this. <laughs> All right, touche. That's that's fair. Um, but I get it. I get. I, I think it's kind of funny, actually. <laughs> Bellamy gets pissed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's my real issue is that she's she's doing it to irritate Bellamy. Yeah, and I feel like you've she's put him through enough. That's, <laughs> that's my true. that's my actual complaint is that this is not about Echo at all. It's about Bellamy. Yeah, and that is unacceptable because, honey, I think you've put him through enough. Yeah, I would agree with that one hundred percent. Um, I do like that Bellamy, he can't even like stand to look at his sister or be around her long enough to tell her the plans. He's just like, Indra has the plans. Talk to her. Yeah. Um, because he wants to get out of there so fast. He's done. Yeah. He can't stand her. And I'm curious because Octavia says I, she wants peace as well, even if Bellamy doesn't believe her. Mm-hmm. But if that were true, I feel like she would have surrendered. Yeah. I... So it's a conditional piece. I, uh, yes, I think so. I wonder if there's a part of her who just doesn't trust Dioza to like accept their surrender because you know Dioza was the one who turned on them in the first place. Me um, back in episode four. Yeah. So I think that has kind of hardened Octavia to ever accepting anything that she says ever. Um, I still think it was something that she should have tried for her people if she really did care about getting to the valley. But if she doesn't trust Yoza and thinks that turning herself in would just leave one crew without a leader, I can see in her like kind of twisted mind why she thinks the better option is for her to lead her people because she into a believes into well, I mean, she believes that she can get them there. I know, I know, but she's wrong. She's wrong (laughs) um and lastly yeah bellamy's final line to her was the sickest burn i've ever heard it felt so good it was like damn you need some ice for that burn octavia yeah she does (laughs) she's gonna need a lot of ice maybe she should call clark (laughs) (laughs) but it was a long time coming like i was really glad to hear it oh i was i mean i i was very impressed with bellamy all this this whole episode i felt like this was what I've been wanting. I want him to punish her. As she deserves. As she deserves. She deserves it. Yeah. Abby wakes and tells Clark that she took the pills to live with the horrible things they had to do in the bunker. We flash back to Octavia and Abby in a private meeting. Abby says that they can't let one crew of people starve because there won't be enough meat on their bones to eat once they die. And plus, the people who live will be wrecked by guilt that they might not survive it. Octavia is going to have to make it a crime not to be a cannibal, and getting Kane to eat will ensure the rest of one crew will follow. So, at this point, like at the beginning of this conversation, Octavia balks at taking away people's choices. Like, that very idea seems horrible to her. Yeah. Um, So, it's really, I I really did like that we get to see the beginning of her descent here in this moment. Yeah. I loved this sort of, like, origin story of how she became the Octavia we know now. Yeah. It's that kind of, like, seed that we're missing for the rest of the characters that we've been talking about, like Nyla and Miller and Cooper. 
mm-hmm. Brel. Oh, Brel. Um, this is like that quintessential. It takes a second, a millisecond of dialogue to convey that turn. Yeah. And it's beautifully done. And we, and I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think that it, um, it, it's a good way to show that Octavia never set out to be a leader. She never set out to be a tyrant. But I think, you know, once you start making these kinds of choices for people, it will become a habit. And I, I do think that, you know, it's, I think that this was the right choice in the situation, but it, it was a very clearly setting up that like, you know, you, you step a foot and then you're going to step 10 feet because yeah, you're going to keep like, going. I like the of what you just said, that it's a habit because I feel like they are putting Abby and they are very clearly comparing Abby and um, Octavia here mm-hmm. and their addictions where, and the start of them. It's like Octavia in this scene, it's the start of her addiction of power. Yeah. And Abby's is the, is the restart of her addiction to the pills. Mm-hmm. And we see Abby deteriorating and in this scene, you know, she's strung out and it's it's not surprising that after this conversation where she basically decides to make it a crime that she starts using it again yeah and we see both of them sort of turn back to their to their demons for lack of a better word um in this moment and i really like that parallel between the two of them a lot yeah agreed um this felt like a really twisted version of the dinner party this was really kind of funny to me <laughs> I don't know what the dinner party is okay it's an old movie I forgot who am I talking to <laughs> Sarah doesn't know any movies I um, like sci-fi movies <laughs> it's an old movie um I'll show you later okay <laughs> it's fine um so here in this scene I really loved this scene Abby lays out the situation very clearly mm-hmm. like the choices are if you let them starve there won't be enough meat to eat Plus, people who actually want to survive and have been eating the meat are going to die either from guilt or then starvation because there's not enough meat to eat. So what do you do? You know, the people who are choosing to starve would rather die than eat. So I think it makes sense to let them die in a quicker fashion. No, it is. I I mean, it's actually kind in a sick, twisted way. I mean, a bullet to the head would be a much better way to die than starvation. It would be. Absolutely true. I just, I just think, I and I can't figure out what the show is telling us. Well, again, I think the show leaves these things kind of open-ended. I don't think they want to promote one thing over another. I think they want the viewer to decide for themselves, which I always appreciate with yeah, this show. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't think they're trying to, I don't think they have an agenda. I think they're trying to tell a really good story. Um, and it's up to us to decide what's right. Um, I also really liked that this, on top of all of this, this was a confession scene. I liked that Abby was compelled to confess to Clark of her sins and wash herself clean by this confession. Mm-hmm. I felt like by by finally being able to open up and talk to a non-participant, even if it is her daughter, you know, about what went on in the bunker, Abby is finally able to start processing her guilt and her shame and finally move on you know it's been bottled up inside of her and she's finally found an outlet to relieve some of this pressure and this Mm -hmm. burden and I think moving forward we can anticipate the addiction being less and less of an issue because of this confession yeah I think the first step to healing is always to talk about about it it. Um, and clearly she never has before so no and I think this show really I mean if they are promoting one thing is that therapy is a good thing we all need it <laughs> unfortunately unfortunately it's not available to anyone there on this are show. no psychiatrists in the there apocalypse. are no therapists there are no couches 
Um, so I guess we kind of talked about this earlier, but so you don't think that Kane has ever found out about Abby's involvement with this? No, I don't think he did. And I think even though it wasn't explicitly um, said in this episode, but we know in the screen in the script that they released that it was originally. Yeah, which is why I thought it was interesting that they changed it. Right, but I think they changed it because they probably felt like it was overkill. I don't think they meant to diminish or change the um what happened Mm -hmm. I think they have always meant it to be this way I think they just wanted to shorten the line and put like a finer point on it Mm -hmm. it was me um because that was a really great moment from Abby I agree with you I do think it was me as stronger than Kane didn't know it was me because that's kind of putting all of her um worries on Kane whereas like here it's just like I did this horrible thing yeah I think it makes a lot more sense for it to be spoken that way but I don't think it takes away from the fact that Kane is not supposed to have known yeah um, which, again, adds so much more context to everything that's going on. Wish I had known earlier. Yeah. I wish Kane did know. <laughs> because... I hope he finds out. Well, first off, it's his fault. Really, it's Kane's <laughs> oh fault. You know what? He's the one who convinced all of those people not to eat. He's the one who they followed. And he did it for no reason. He wasn't eating his brother. We'll get to it in the next scene. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to yeah, go let's on wait. before let's... I rant too much about Kane here. Uh, it is dinner time with one crew again, and when Octavia notices a table not eating the meat, she goes over and tells them it's not a choice. They won't budge, no matter how much she tries to convince them, so she gets a gun and gives them all a choice, eat or die. After she shoots three people, a horrified Kane says he'll eat, and the rest of the holdouts follow him. Um, so first off, Marie's acting is absolutely brilliant in this scene. Mm-hmm. The The... The facial expressions um, and like the journey that her face and her body take in this scene is really incredible. I, you know, I knew she was a a great actress, but I think she really shined in this scene. Yeah, I think overall this season, Marie has been giving us some level of skill that I always knew was there, but like maybe she just didn't need to tap into because she could rely on her physicality so much. And she has been so much more, not that she hasn't had physical scenes because she has and she's kicked ass. Um, But I feel like they have given her an opportunity to really use her face Mm -hmm. in a way that we haven't been able to tap into earlier. And when she is not wearing all of that makeup, you know, when her face is way more um, open and like easier to read, it's just so much more compelling to look at her and watch her act. She's She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, we see her here. She's almost begging them to eat. Oh, yeah. She is trying so hard to convince them because she knows what she has to do if they refuse, and she does not want to do it. Yeah. There is no part of her that wants to do this. Yeah. Um, I also love that we see the beginning of uh, Oman Gonasan here, uh, all of me for all of us. Um, we called it. It was eating people eating, very, very yeah. clearly. It was a literal phrase. I also love that it sounds like om nom nom. Yes. There's some <laughs> nice onomatopoeia yeah. happening here. I feel like that was on purpose. It had to. It be. had to have been. <laughs> like I can just see Jason like twisting his mustache yeah. again. Om nom 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 nom. Om nom nom nom. So funny. I also thought the music cues were so good in this scene. They were creepy. They added this really like eerie effect. It was like kind of like an ooh. ooh. It was like so creepy. <laughs> I never listen to the music. So you always like say these things and I'm like, I have no idea what music was playing. I never hear it the first time, but it's always like on our second watch where I'm like paying attention and I'm like listening to the music. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it was so it was like a choice that they've never used this kind of music before like brand new kind of music for mm-hmm. the show and it was it was really really well done tree adams tree adams He's man so great shout out to tree adams you're the best um i also just wanted to comment that i f- i feel like going back to what you were saying about marie's acting I felt like every time she pulled the trigger in this scene, we could see her kind of like fracturing herself further and further until she has like completely torn apart. And it like at the by the end of the scene, she is like transformed into Blood Reina. Yeah. You know, like there is like a full metamorphosis happening. And it's like every time she pulls the trigger, it's like a different phase yeah. in that metamorphosis. I, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. I, I can clearly see that like, when you like explain it like that. Like, every time she pulled the trigger, she got like more and more blood arena. And like, more and more closed off and more and more numb, numb inside. Yeah. Like like the first time she pulled the trigger, she was shaking. She had like so much emotion. She was like losing control over her hands and, and she was like full body like shivering. And by the last gunshot, she was completely still. Yeah. Um, And it was just a brilliant direction brilliant acting perfect execution it was a great scene mm-hmm. i completely agree um now i want to get back to my rant about kane oh yes <laughs> please do um i'll keep it brief i just feel like kane is at fault for everything that's ever happened <laughs> <laughs> but really though i i just don't understand and i keep harping on this i don't understand what made him draw the line here and, like, why he thinks that not eating someone to survive is, like, the morally right choice. It just, like, I don't know. I, like, get the dude who doesn't want to eat his brother. Like, I get that, man. Yeah, I'm not going to eat my brother. I probably would not eat my brother. I would eat you, probably. Well, that but is so if rude. I could get, if I could get, you know, enough meat off of your bones. Yeah, good luck. Good I don't want to starve to death. I'm just saying. <laughs> can't believe you would eat me. I feel like if your brother was in the arena, you should get, like, a day pass. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> but that's another story entirely. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, I just, Kane is the worst. Actually, that's not at all coherent. That's my argument. Kane is the worst. <laughs> yeah. He's getting really annoying to me as well. Okay. Not to, like, your level, but I see exactly what you're saying, and I agree with you. I think, I, I really do have to say, Kane is the, like, if you were to compare yourself to a character in the hundred, Kane is the absolute last furthest away character for me that it's possible to be. Yeah. That's so fair. is he's like the character that I've always had a hard time understanding, but I've liked him in the past, but he, like over the last few seasons, he's just gotten more and more frustrating to me. Yeah. What would be your furthest away character? I was just thinking that. <laughs> I think, I don't know. <laughs> we have a really hard time. Like, putting me into the hundred context it i is, don't fit you wouldn't survive <laughs> i don't fit i would i would be a red shirt like, like, like i would last like four seconds on earth <laughs> oh man actually i would probably be charlotte where i would be like tr- so badly traumatized that i would like murder people oh. and then have to be put down that's who i would be <laughs> oh now we're laughing about the death of kids yeah, so funny it's a weird show so funny um Side note, was the uh, Shallow Valley couple, or was the, the couple that was sitting at the table who um, ended up eating the meat, were they the, the Shallow Valley couple that we saw in episode six that um, kind of befriended Echo? I mean, I can't say for sure. I don't feel like they were. They didn't seem to look the same. But I just, I feel like they should have been. I'm not going to look it up because I don't care that much, but it would have made sense, I think, to have. It would have been like a nice 
well, dramatic because, symmetry. Because in the um, scene in episode six, when they were talking about the horrible things they had to do and couldn't live with, it would make more sense to me if they were one of the ones who was like forced to you didn't want to. Um, well, not, not that anyone wants to. No, no, but, I know what you're saying. And yeah. I think you're right. I think from a writing point of view, that would have made more sense. And maybe it is. I honestly just yeah, don't maybe. care enough to Let's check. pretend that it was. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the next day, Abby and Clark work on curing McCreary and his people. Maddie grabs a knife and heads toward McCreary, but Clark stops her. Maddie doesn't understand how Clark can still be against Octavia after Abby's story. Yes, she took away their choice, but she bore it so they didn't have to. Realizing that Maddie is referring to Mount Weather, Clark is stunned. She hadn't told Maddie that story, but Maddie says she didn't tell her a lot of things, like how Clark was really the hero after all. Clark says she's not a hero. Everything she did, she did for her people, and Maddie is now her people. Um, first off, I have to say, when Clark told Maddie, like it or not, we are on McCreary's side, like, that entire phrase is absurd. Like, I know. you cannot include me in the we if I don't like it. I did not want to be here. I want to murder him right now. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't <laughs> sign up for this. I It just, like... On Maddie's behalf, I'm getting so frustrated. I know. It's really hard to watch because Maddie is such a strong character and they've done such a good job with her that she she feels like her own – She, I mean, she is her own person. And it's very infuriating that Clark doesn't recognize and, that. And, I mean, I do understand that parents get some level of um, control over their kids when they're younger, but I don't think it's ever okay to steamroll your kid's opinion. Like, even if you force them to be somewhere – you don't get to say, you know, you have to like it. <laughs> you right. Know? You just have to live with like, it. Like, they can feel however they feel. Maddie right. is not on McCreary's side. That is a classic, like, I don't care if you don't like it. You're doing it. Yeah. You know? That is that is valid. Yeah. You don't have to like it, though. Yeah. Um, overall, though, I thought this was a really beautiful scene. I feel like all season long, Maddie has been reconciling with the fact that Clark's friends are not the heroes that she made them out to be. And now she's realizing um with all of this new information that she's getting from the flame and all of the commanders that her mother has actually been this incredible hero of our story the clark that we know and it's this amazing reversal of this sort of um of this pattern that we've been getting all season where maddie didn't even realize who the hero was all along only to come to this point where clark is suddenly not acting like the hero and that sharp realization only to have it taken away from you so instantly is heartbreaking I mean that makes it so much sharper Mm -hmm. um and I really love that you know what I really love about this Mm. is the fact that we're really seeing how Lexa sees Clark yeah because you know everything that Maddie's experiencing of Clark being a hero it's something that she had to learn from Lexa because no one else knew Clark although I did want to ask this is kind of a side you know thing but not really is there a copy of Clark in the flame too? Because Clark took the flame in season three um, for a little while before, you know, she had to take it out before she was, re- she rejected it. But um, does that mean that there's a copy in there or did she like specifically have to die with the flame inside her for there to be a copy? I think the latter. I think you have to die with it in you. Okay. I think. I feel like that's dumb. Like that's a dumb rule, but I also don't want there to be a copy of Clark in there because that's like I feel like the only way that your like imprint or like your soul would be left in there is if there wasn't anything else left outside, and if you're still alive when you leave the flame or when you take the flame out, there's no reason for there to be a copy in there. Mm. Okay, I'm just curious. No, I, I I don't know what the answer is, but that's the answer I'm gonna go with. Okay, I'm good with that. Yeah. Um, 
I also wanted to call out another Maddie bit in this scene because it's too good not to talk about <laughs> how how like what Maddie's processing power is. I mean, like we knew she was smart, but I don't think I realized realized how smart she was and like how emotionally smart she is. Like mm-hmm. there is a level of maturity here that I have not seen from her all season long that I was amazed by. I mean, first of all, she is the only one in this scene who is really sympathizing with Octavia, as you should be. Yeah. Like, there, what Abby is just describing is horrifying. And you should feel bad for Octavia for having to make these choices and being forced into this situation. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to be here. So she the, for it, so they didn't have to, man. The <laughs> fact that Clark is unable to sympathize with Octavia and was like, she forced her people to blah, 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 whatever, is frustrating. And, I, you know, in, in a better in a better world, in a better Clark, would it not have reacted li- like this? Oh, yeah. Clark's not thinking rationally right, right now. Um, I recognize that. But <laughs> Maddie is. Yeah. And the fact that Maddie can recognize this is incredible. And secondly, that she can take this sympathy and then extrapolate that um, so that Octavia – or that she's comparing what Octavia did to what Clark has done formerly so that Octavia can, as you said, bear it so they don't have to is – an amazing comparison to make on the fly. I realize that there's like some writing happening here that the writers are doing. Well, there's also some people in Maddie's head talking right. about it. But. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but she like that, just like that little, that was just like a beautiful sentence. It was a beautiful phrase and I loved it. And I then agree. thirdly, that she can bring this all around and like can tie it back to Clark is just, it was just an amazing moment to watch. And I, I loved it. It was beautiful. I completely agree. I, wanted this to be my favorite quote but you took it Shh, you spoiled the oh, end I'm of this sorry podcast. you can still tell them later um i will say though out of all of the great writing in this scene the one thing i didn't really love was i felt um when clark said the things i did i did for my people and now you're my people it felt like a little bit heavy-handed oh it was so clunky you as a writer shouldn't have to explain a concept like this so clearly like if you have to then you've made some mistakes in showing how your characters feel yes um because this is this is definitely a case of tell not show i agree completely you don't need to be this heavy-handed and i also think it's telling that clark has never viewed herself as a hero and we kind of knew that but you know she is in so many um ways but at the same time she's always been the one like octavia had to that she's been the one who has to make the hard decision mm-hmm. she has to pull the levers that kill 300 people um always 300 and it is to save people that she cares about but she's making the sacrifice of her own soul so other people don't have to yeah and i think that's you know again to go back to what this show is all about it's not trying to promote a hero story yeah there are no heroes there are no villains there are only shades of gray there are no good people right (laughs) there are no bad people Mm -hmm. Well, there, well, are there, some, are there are people. some bad people. <laughs> I take that back. Um, but um, I really like that Clark. I feel like before Clark has always been very gray. And I think maybe the part of the problem in this season is that she's very black and white. Mm-hmm. And she's not sort of blending. She's like compartmentalizing way too much. Well, again, I mean, I think it's our complaint with Bellamy too in a different way. I think Clark and Bellamy are just too far on opposite extremes right now. And it's extremes that aren't really natural for them yeah it's not compatible um and i'm not saying they have to go back to their old selves but there just has to be a happy medium we there have has to, to get be there. an equilibrium yeah yeah uh so one crew marches for days to some really cheesy fade out music and fade out cuts oh, 
Uh, on the final night, Monty shares the last of the rations with Bellamy. Monty and Harper will be staying in camp while Bellamy goes with the soldiers to fight. And Bellamy says that when this is all over, Space Crew will take over 80 acres in the valley and Monty can grow something other than algae. What was up with those editing choices? Yeah. Oh my god, it was so weird. It was so weird and cheesy. It was like watching the Ten Commandments from the 60s. <laughs> which I'm sure you've never seen. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, but it was really bad. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was, was like really horrible editing not the hundreds finest moment what are you doing <laughs> there's got to be a way to show the passage of time than like weird fade outs and like slow-mo walking you know and- in greece how in summer Eleven they have sandy and uh john travolta like laid over one another yes it was like that <laughs> that movie was made in 1975 <laughs> so and it was like a rom-com musical so <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was <laughs> certainly gross to watch Monty and Bellamy split the food after this episode. Um, the rations, are they still eating people? Because it seems like they only had to do it for a year, but then yeah. they keep zooming in on these, like, nasty-looking rations and, like, making a big deal about them all, like, sharing the food and, like, passing it around, um, this whole scene, or this whole season. So, I don't understand what they're trying to tell us. I don't either. I think... No, I don't know. I, I guess, can't even. I, I can't even guess. I guess it has to be like just soybeans now, right? Because yeah. if it were people, and the show didn't like give our heroes a chance to see, like, oh my god, we're eating people, then what are the writers doing with their lives? No, there, there's no way they would let that go. But it should have been something Explained. that they carried on, because drama yeah. and horror. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't really understand. I mean, like, we were so excited for the cannibal stuff, and it turned out to be true. But I feel like they didn't just, like, make that final leap that needed to, like, really solidify that plot Jason line. said in a tweet that if cannibalism was, like, the big shocker of the season, then they weren't doing their job right, and that there's going to be something really big. Well, I mean, I hope so, because we all knew cannibalism was coming before the season started. That's what he, that's basically what he was saying. It was like, that was that should not have been a surprise. It shouldn't have been a shock. It wasn't like, I mean, I was never wanting it to be a surprise. I just wanted them to use the cannibalism plotline to its fullest. To its and I potential. don't think it, it was. Um, I know it. what the big surprise is going to be. It's going to be Allegis 3. So. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to tell me, Jason. I also know that. <laughs> To be clear, she is still guessing. I'm not guessing. It's Allegis freaking three. I don't know in what form, but it's Allegis three. <laughs> just to clarify, no, we have not been spoiled. That wasn't okay. A we don't have screeners, but just because we don't have screeners doesn't mean that I don't know with 100% certainty that it involves Allegis three. <laughs> just clarifying for the sake of everyone at home. Um, I did want to call out. I really appreciated that Bellamy was cool. That Monty and Harper weren't gonna fight. Um, even though they could use every able body with them. Yeah. It was nice of him to like give them a pass because Monty was going to do it for him. To be fair, I don't think Monty and Harper would be useful at all. I think Harper would be more useful than Monty. Well, definitely. I mean, Monty's, you know, just like a little Monty. So sweet. Um, I do like the idea of Monty just like living the happy life of a farmer. And I, I kind of hope he can have that someday. And I wanted to call back, um, the line from last episode when Octavia calls Monty and Harper, Adam and Eve, Mm -hmm. um, because as we have theorized, we're pretty sure that the valley is going to be destroyed, at least in like large part, but maybe entirely yeah. at the end of the season. Um, but I still do believe that some people will stay on Earth. 
Um, and now that we know that Monty has the algae, he has the ability to um, farm and like, you know, create topsoil that actually grows stuff with this algae. And the fact that Octavia called Harper and, and him Adam and Eve, it seems like very clear that him and Harper are going to stay on Earth and be Adam and Eve. And, like, I would love grow, that. Grow that, back the Earth. That would be very fitting. I, I hope so, because Monty deserves to just like chill out, have a break you know farm go yeah. go out and farm and you know have like little babies and just be you know happy oh my god <laughs> i would love that uh zeke goes over to raven who is still ignoring him he asks if she can finally forgive him for saving her life and at that she kisses him she's not mad at him for saving her life she's mad at him for making her care about his life gag <laughs> Echo watches them kiss from a distance. Amori tells her that she and Bellamy will be together soon, and Echo nods, but she's clearly not comforted. Yeah, that line, whew, that was another <laughs> real cheesy one. Thought I was going to th- bomb. It was so bad. It was a bad line. It was a really bad line. <laughs> um, it was like that line from uh, season four when she tells Luna, it's your heart. <laughs> oh, God. Sometimes the, the, the writers just throw out these really cheesy lines, yeah. and it's like, Why? Yeah. What, do you remember what show you're on? Like, there's nothing cheesy about this. It's a it's a dystopian apocalypse. <laughs> like, like, what are you doing? Um, I did love the makeout sesh, though. I mean, all for it. It was pretty like spot on. Oh my good. god, that makeout sesh was great. We get so little in the show. I get so little, and my little shipper heart was just like, thank God, we're so used to giving, and now we get to <laughs> receive. <laughs> but yeah, those lines were really bad. Yeah. Um. I loved the introspective bit with Echo, um, and I also love that we got a little bit of her friendship with Amori because we hadn't really seen that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, she clearly wasn't wistfully thinking of kissing Bellamy. So what do you think that weird look on her face was about? Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, and I feel like there's probably a lot of ways to interpret this, but going off the shipper theme, because I do think this is a romantic scene. Um, so if you view that weird look on her face through like a shipper lens. I interpret this sort of forlornish look as Echo kind of realizing that Raven and Zeke have found each other and are now choosing each other kind of despite the fact that they started on opposite sides and despite the odds set against them. When Echo and Bellamy only got together when it was finally convenient for Mm -hmm. them to get together you know it was they were the only people left (laughs) and there was no drama there were no wars there were no sides they were alone in space um there is nothing convenient about raven and zeke's situation and yet they still can't help themselves but echo and bellamy were never able to get together i mean they clearly had chemistry Mm -hmm. we've been concerned about this since season two (laughs) i've been concerned about this so we knew it was an option yeah but it could never happen until all of the obstacles were removed and i think watching zeke and raven get together in this sort of passionate way reminded her of the kind of circumstances that she and Bellamy got together with and I'm not sure she's entirely happy about it yeah I mean I I don't think she's entirely confident not necessarily because she sees like other girls vying for Bellamy's attention or anything or even because he seems unfaithful or like not loving to her but I think she just you know takes it as like I don't know if we're gonna make it you know with all of this um drama around us right we we never would have made it before we only were able to get together in these really specific set of circumstances that are vanished. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is worrisome, I think. 
I, I wanted to call out this scene specifically because I read an interview with Tazia Telly's like, I don't know if it was before the season started or right after the season started, but she specifically called out a scene that she really loved doing. That was just a very short scene, she said, and it was with her sitting in the snow, kind of like playing with the snow and contemplating the choices in her life that had led her here. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I had looked it up to get the exact quote, but I it, it was lost. I don't know <laughs> which interview it was, um, but I was waiting for that to happen all season because I was really curious about why this scene specifically stuck out to her. And as soon as I saw her sitting in the snow, I knew it was the scene she was mm-hmm. talking about. Um, and I thought it was more interesting that she was watching Raven and Zeke kiss because I didn't expect her to necessarily be having like romantic contemplations at that point in time. Um, but this is, I think, clearly pointing toward her dissecting her relationship with Bellamy and trying to figure out if they're going to make it now that they're back on Earth and there are so many obstacles on their path. Yeah, I agree. So I'm really glad you brought that point up because I think it's really insightful. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, Bellamy says if they time it right, move fast, and stick to Echo's plan, there won't be any opposition. Once they're in the woods, they'll win. When everyone has left the tent but Indra, Octavia tells her once more that or that once they're in the valley, it'll be worth every bad thing they did to get there. Indra hopes she's right. And after Indra, le- and after Indra leaves, Octavia tells herself that she has to be. Um, so this, I think, was a really nice little bit to add at the end because I think it really solidifies to the viewer why Octavia has done everything that she's done. She's so single-minded in her determination to get her people to Eden, (laughs) literally like this garden of Eden that I think she can justify everything that she's done um, up until that point. But if she can't get there, then she's going to kind of have to come to terms with the fact that she's become in many ways a tyrant and a monster. Um, And I don't think she wants to face that in herself. (laughs) No, I don't think so either. And, you know, I think the last couple of episodes we've, we've had a lot of issues with the way that they have been characterizing her and the lack of context but Mm -hmm. with all of this information now knowing what we know I do think they've done a really good job of showing us her character arc this season and I liked this little 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 bit at the end here as like a nice button on top of that it really rounded it out yeah you know I have to say out of all of the character development this season Octavia's is the one that I'm pretty okay with yeah I think for the most part they've done a good job um of showing her transition I just think that it could have been enriched further by adding more backstory um but I do think the scenes that they've given us with her are very insightful and very telling they've been very specific in picking and choosing like how to present Bloodrena slash Octavia to the audience mm-hmm. um and I've had a really great time watching her this season and trying to figure out you know what's going through her mind and 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 what um version of herself she is like is she more bloodrena here is she more octavia here um where is the line yeah um so that's been one of my favorite character arcs this season i think yeah i think the same for abby as well i think they've done a really good job showing her progression and again choosing moments in the past to show key moments that led her to this point um very similarly to octavia so I, i do think those two characters they've done really well yeah 
Dioza and Cain are brought into the Allegia ship, and McCreary demands to know why they're turning themselves in. Dioza reveals that one crew knows he's using her battle plans, and will know every move he makes before he makes it. Cain wants to help McCreary win this war, and when McCreary asks why, Cain says he won't let the devil into this garden. Um, so I'm going to try not to rant too much more about Cain here. Yeah. But I could not figure out what Kane and Dioz's endgame is here at this point. Um, Kane, I guess, in some way is on some, like, high moral ground of, like, Octavia is the devil, we must save Eden from her, blah, blah, blah. Who cares if I, like, screw over the rest of my people? Doesn't matter. But Dioza. Dioza, I don't understand why she's turned in this way. I thought it might have been um, a double cross. Yeah. Um, but whatever the case, like, you know, I thought maybe is Dio's doing this because she thinks Octavia will kill her, which is probably true. But at the same time, she also knows McCreary will do the exact same thing. Um, so I just I don't understand why this is the choice that she is making. Maybe the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Maybe she thinks she knows how to, like, get around McCreary or put him down or anticipate something with McCreary in a way that, like, Octavia is unpredictable to her. Maybe I'm just spitballing. I, no, here. I think that's a good point. Um, I, I I can see that, but I also think, given that she knows McCreary, she should know how unforgiving he is. Yeah, and I think what she did, he's not going to get over it. <laughs> yeah, and going off of that, what hallucinogenic is Kane on that makes him think that Graveyard McCreary is a better option than Octavia? I don't care if she he does think she's like a murderous crazy person so is McCreary he has got a graveyard on his back (laughs) (laughs) he revels in it and again I I keep harping on this but it's not just McCreary it's McCreary's people it's the whole unit of the allegiance prisoners all of the criminals versus like the innocent people in one crew I mean innocent to an extent more innocent more innocent um less you know more of like i had to do bad things because i wanted to live not just like because i had a good time doing them (laughs) i'm sorry kane but you don't have my vote in this situation he has you've lost vote lost my vote vote. (laughs) one last thing to wrap all of this up is i know they hate each other but mccreary and dioza (laughs) had some mad chemistry in this scene they were like sparks flying. Yeah, I will agree. <laughs> and we learned you. You sent me an interview that um, Ivana, um, who plays Dioza, um, she plays Dioza to flirt with every character in in a scene, just in case of a romantic pairing like option, like later down the line. Yeah. And it really shows. It does because she flirts with. She has sexual tension with every single character. I'm so attracted to her. Like, <laughs> like Echo, Kane. Whoever, she's flirting with them. And she is, like, hardcore working on McCreary here. I will say McCreary also has, like, this weird sort of sex appeal. But, I mean, like, besides the fact that he's hot. He is so hot. He's, like, very attractive man. Oh, my God. Um, But, like, the, the way he, like looks at people and phrases things it also is like weirdly seductive yeah but he is really it's like seductive. a more blunt sort of seductive than dioza which is like very smooth yeah no dioza's is much more subtle mm-hmm. whereas i think mccreary has this sort of like raw sexuality about him that just like comes yeah flying off of yeah. him i actually remember that episode if i don't know what episode it was this season but um when dioza's talking about was it war is like a seduction or yeah. what was it yeah Something like that. So like it's very clear that she's she's got seduction down. <laughs> yeah. She's not a she's not a stranger to the seduction yeah. game. <laughs> Neither is he. I mean they're 
evenly matched. I mean, I, I think the baby growing in her stomach is pretty uh, <laughs> clear to that effect. <laughs> All right. So that was our recap. Let's go into some of our discussion points. Really briefly, just want to touch on the title here. It was very literal, the dark gear. Yeah. I was a little disappointed. I don't think you can make any other... You no. can't extrapolate I, from I that. can't <laughs> find any other interpretation than what it is, um, which is disappointing to me because that's like my favorite thing to do. But let us know if you can think of one. We'd yeah. like to hear it. That would be great. <laughs> that would be great. What was your favorite line? Uh, my favorite line was, I'm not fighting for you. I'm fighting to get back to my family because hot damn. Like, ouch. <laughs> ouch. <laughs> uh, what was yours? Um, mine, of course, because you already spoiled it, was she bore it so they didn't have to, which was when Maddie was explaining Octavia to Clark about Clark. Yeah. Using Clark's Using words. Clark. Actually using Dante's words that Clark has parroted. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of meta and I loved it. What was your favorite scene? Uh, my favorite scene was overwhelmingly the scene with Octavia murdering people when they wouldn't eat the meat. I thought that was just a really brilliantly written and acted scene all around. Oh, and I agree. I loved it. Was it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, my favorite scene was Abby confessing to Clark. I just really needed this scene <laughs> a lot for my soul. I think Abby did too. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> uh, so the next episode is 512 Damocles Part 1. In this episode, Octavia leads her people into war, and while behind enemy lines, our heroes must overcome their differences to save one crew from extinction. Bum, bum, so bum. we will have this episode, this uh, episode 12, hopefully posted this weekend. Um, yeah. That is the plan, and we will be all caught up for the finale, and we will watch it live, and I'm very excited. And we're going to, like, <laughs> be able to talk about stuff. Finally. It's going to be great. Guys, we're working so hard to get, I have, to get back on schedule. I have a lot of, like, overall thoughts for the season that I, I definitely want to share, like, once we're done, because, you know, I, I can't say too much yet, but I think I think there's some things need to be parsed out, you know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, that was our episode. If you would like to get in contact with us, you can. You can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That's S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at skycast. And you can also tweet at us at our own Twitter accounts. I am at bperlman89. And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. Thanks for joining us again on Skycast. We should have the next episode up within the next few days. We will be all caught up. And we will see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.